0: Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Welcome to Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. I'm Gordon Glenister and in this edition we'll be sharing some of the findings from our exclusive influencer research. I'll also be talking to Jack Morel paolo from BCMA member influencer platform Analytica and hear his take on the industry. So earlier this year, the BCMA and one of our members, Waylar, uh, conducted a piece of research through their platform to understand what some of the key challenges influencers face today and what changes they'd like to see in the industry. We also wanted to establish who they most admire and why. So here are some of the responses. The biggest frustrations held by content creators were not being paid on time, feeling undervalued by brands and the increasing reliance on algorithms, particularly by platforms such as Instagram. Other areas that caused frustration were a lack of diversity in influencers in brand collaborations, being able to obtain ownership of content with photographers when they're brought in by the brands, Inconsistencies of brand guidelines offered to influencers and being able to adapt quickly in this volatile field of marketing. It was also clear from the responses that the impact of mental health issues were prevalent, particularly due to the stresses and strains of the role. Uh, The top three areas that influencers and content creators need support with are marketing advice, legal guidance and financial planning. Other areas that also came up included help with merchandising and licensing, and most importantly, finding brands that resonate with their profile and passion. Lastly, we asked our respondents who they most admire, and among those that came up were All That Is She, me and Orla, and of course, Tezza. When I looked at some of the responses, it was quite interesting to see what came up. There are many reasons influencers look up to others. Among them were being super creative, their consistency in the style of posting, certainly being relatable and authentic, and having a strong engagement with their followers. So if you'd like to see a copy of the full report, you can certainly download it on the BCMA website, which is www.thebcma.info. Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. So, influencer marketing is not always about B2B marketing as some may think. Increasingly, those involved in the business-to-business sector are looking more closely at influencer marketing as an engaging media to build business. With that in mind, my guest today is Jack Morell Paolo, who is head of influencer marketing at influencer platform Analytica. Welcome, Jack. Thanks, Gordon. Uh, so, before we get going into the uh, interview, tell us a little bit more about
1: Onlytica. So, Onlytica is a, a software and, and consultancy service. We're we're based in Southwark in London, with a, another office in New York, uh, with a with a few people based out there. We're really focused on helping brands. It's not exclusively B two B, but I'd say it, it's a lot really. I think build kind of more inspiring content and campaigns. And sort of leverage their topical influencer community to really, you know, build relationships with key opinion leaders yep. in their in their space, and and increasingly to sort of do that programmatically. So own those relationships as an organisation, and and leverage those to actually, you know, whether it's make a make one of their events perform better online, or come up with a really interesting piece of of kind of uh, long form content that they can then leverage to drive signups you know people people come to us with lots of different um lots of different challenges within their marketing organization but i think the uniting factor is they're really looking to this new group of kind of online thought leaders or influencers or whatever you want to call them to you know to really drive better better content performance and content and event performance
0: that's great um, so what what sort of campaigns have you done on litica that have that have worked really really well i think
1: uh a good example that, that I probably always use, any any client I've ever spoken to will attest to this, that I always wheel this example out, but I think it's it's a good one. Um, so this is now a little over a year old, but we're, we're working with VMware. We're a, it's a kind of software software company, a lot of, lot of cloud type solutions. So probably like a, a pretty typical example of one of our clients in the tech sector. And they were looking to drive signups uh, through this, this kind of piece of gated content. So what they did is they worked with Uh, worked with some sort of bloggers that they used our platform to find. So the platform kind of helps you find people who've got a high degree of topical authority on the key topics that you're you're working on. And it's very keyword specific. So we always make sure we build that out. You find the people who are talking about the right things that your audience care about, Mm -hmm. not just cloud, but cloud solutions in financial services or how cloud and blockchain work together, something like that. So we help them find these bloggers uh, and and what they were really keen to do is obviously drive this kind of new research report that they had coming out and make it make it perform really well so they worked with with these bloggers to write for each of them to basically write up their own thoughts on the content having been given early access they then actually hosted those write-ups on those bloggers own sites so it was it was kind of externally hosted to give that sort of external third-party validation to the content with the sign-up form for for the VMware piece of content at, at the bottom of the page, and they actually put some paid spend behind that. Mm. So because it's a third-party um, ad, essentially it's not—you know—that that ad isn't coming directly from the brand. That performs better than than your own sort of branded content. So you see a higher click-through, even if the 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 kind of number of sign-ups on the page stays the same. You still see that that improved performance, and I think that's a really good example of how both at the sort of technical campaign level, you know, putting the paid spend behind a third party source and at the content level where you're sort of leveraging experts who really know what they're talking about and who already have an engaged audience on your key topics. You're kind of able to use influencers, I think, in a really smart way. So yeah, I think that's one of my favorite examples and it's you know something i'd encourage everyone to do tomorrow
0: if you can but it's a very good example actually i'm i'm assuming though uh, what makes it even more authentic is it's using this the same message but in a in a different tone of voice that is relevant to that audience and one of the things that certainly i've picked up on is relevance and authenticity is essential in any any campaign would you concur
1: yeah and i think
0: we always we're always looking to to make sure we have
1: that with with an influencer i think the thing what what maybe distinguishes our approach to influencer identification is that we're looking very carefully at specific topical authority. So, you know, you, you think of the metrics someone might use to to measure authority. Obviously REACH is a classic. It's really a measure of popularity. It it tells you something, but actually someone with three thousand followers could be far more knowledgeable than someone with thirty thousand followers. You know, that that's nothing. Obviously you can also look at the number of times someone has posted on a topic, but you or I could post the words artificial intelligence nine times a day between now and the end of the earth. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't actually make us an expert. So again, you've got to look at, you know, how is that audience reacting? And that's why we really look at that, really are looking to determine that expertise and that audience engagement by looking at inbound engagement when someone talks about that that particular topic. I think that's what really consistently delivers, I think, very quality influencers Mm. and and a kind of high number of people even on sometimes fairly obscure topics, I think you're really able to to understand who's influential within each topical community. You know, we've had things from you know pretty run of the mill stuff, cloud solutions, artificial intelligence, blockchain, a lot of those sort of classic thought leadership topics that tech businesses are looking at, all the way through to something like fish farming, where we're trying to understand you know who's influential globally on ocean ecology. Uh, and every time, you know, obviously I would say this, but I'm genuine. Genuinely, pretty impressed most of the time by what the platform is able to to kind of bring back using that methodology. Wow,
0: that's impressive. Um, so, what about more more traditional? blue chips and maybe let's just say a bank a typical bank for example because you know we know that influencer marketing is one of the fastest growing advertising medium but it's still there's, there's also a lot of organizations out there that are on that are teetering on the edge they know they should be doing this but they're just not sure or they're worried they're, they're very brand protective um, so let's just take for example a bank a uh, traditional bank uh, wh- what sort of what sort of approach would an organization like you take to help and support you know a big institution um considering influencer marketing
1: i think there's there's obviously a couple of things to bear in mind there's obviously the kind of the initial talking to i'm going to deliver someone here is you know i used to work in user generated content before this and the big lesson i learned from that is other people are already talking about your brand it's too late they're doing it online it's happening so that sort of surrendering of control has really happened in you know we have audience first media now you know that that's a definitely, that's a definitely. big part of how brands have to communicate and i think you just have to to move closer to where that audience is i think the other thing is it's it's not really as much of a surrendering of control as people particularly imagine what you're generally talking about is is just you know having key opinion leaders in your space talk about that space give give their opinions if you think of what most branded content uh, looks like it's increasingly thought leadership based it's an industry rather than a product centered approach. You're kind of getting people to talk about industry challenges, um, and, and make your blog or, you know, whatever it is, your, your content a place where people come for industry solutions. And I think you just have to look at who is trusted on those questions. It is, it is these external figures. And actually every organization, no, no matter how big an institution they are, understands this you already are managing groups of external opinion formers you've got a government affairs team you've got a pr team you've got an analyst relations team you are acknowledging that some of these people are key opinion formers um you're just going to a new source that is less well established but i think is able to drive you know very very good results and something something i cite a lot is uh, edelman's trust barometer they survey a lot of people across 26 markets and they ask who's trusted the figures who are most trusted a company technical experts, academic experts, and uh, the kind of nebulous figure of people like me. Journalists are, are, and analysts are a decent way further down. And well, mm, that's uh, interesting, you, you, pro- you probably, yeah, you probably know what people feel about government officials as well. You know, that's another group that that scores way further down. So I think I'm not talking about, I'm not saying burn down your PR department, you know, kick the AR guys to the curb. I'm saying just a, a shift in emphasis. In where we're sort of investing resources in a reasonable way to try and just get these key opinion formers and you're not paying them to, to say nice things about your brand. You know, that, that never works. You, there's no point, you know, ask the PR team what happens when you try and exert too much control over, over a journalist. It, it never ends well. You ruin the relationship, but asking someone to talk about industry challenges that you have, you know, that your, your products, your services offer a solution to. You know, that's the, that's the kind of content everyone's trying to make, everyone's trying to talk about now. And you're just tapping a new group to what's, really create that kind of what's content. What's
0: really quite interesting about what you just said there, this is quite different from the B2C environment, which is much more product-led, isn't it? Um, and indeed paid for in many instances. So um, it, do you find that some of these specialists are paid um, for some of their content that they're providing? And, and and how does that compare with the, the sort of B2B B2C environment? I mean when it comes
1: to, to paying influencers, I guess the way I the way I think about it is if you're asking for a lot of someone's time or what they're doing has very high value to you, then I think it's it's reasonable to pay. The way I would encourage most brands to think about whether or not you're gonna pay is basically figure out in advance, before you start reaching out to influencers, what you will and won't pay for. So I'll give an example. I don't think you should ever really be paying people just to post about your brand because that's not influencer marketing or influencer relations. That's what uh, Scott Guthrie, um, who's um, a big, you know, one of the, I think, key thought leaders in this space. He really calls that influencer advertising. I think he's bang on. Really, you're renting someone's platform and that's an ad buy.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And in
1: some circumstances, that's fine, but that's not the same. So I think figure out what the value is of an interaction. What is this influencer going to bring? You know, some top premium influencers in, you know, the AI or the fintech space, they can bring, you know, these, these are people who can bring 5,000 engagements to one of your posts, you know, hundreds of clicks from the right people. And that's obviously valuable to you. You know, would you, you'd pay for that in ad spend. You'd pay to, to
0: get one of your execs interviewed in the FT absolutely, for that. So, so it's just another form of advertising, isn't it? Yeah. But, but, but very focused and targeted. I think that's what makes it particularly interesting. Um, I was very lucky to be part of your uh, workshop um, recently, which I, I thought was quite interesting because it was very uh, vertical focused. So sometimes a lot of the education events that I see in the industry are, are are you know all different industries, but this was this was quite focused around the financial sector. What? Why did you do that? And what sort of outcome did you did you have from that? I
1: think what what we're seeing is is The financial services sector is definitely growing as a sector for us. We're sort of traditionally tech's probably the largest single uh, group of clients, but we're increasingly seeing what you might call regulated industries, energy, healthcare, um, and, and financial services really growing quite fast because they're sort of recognizing that there's a similar use case. They've got a technical set of solutions that they're trying to market, and it's often to two very specific groups they've got these kind of niche target audiences that they're trying to get to, so with the tech sector it's often you're trying to get at cios in in large corporations to sort of encourage them to to make you their digital transformation partner, for example and I think the financial services sector is kind of like that as well it's a It's a specific set of things that you're really trying to sort of grow on you know it might be asset management or kind of wealth management and things like that mm, yeah and I think those niche audiences are really ripe for for kind of being accessed through those those key key opinion leaders, if you can find them. So, I'll give an example of of something we we worked on with an agency who are a who are a partner of ours for a for a major asset manager. They were looking for basically to understand how to access high net worth individuals for their kind of wealth management uh, services. And they had this big report out, so a bit like the VMware case, they've got a big report coming out on passing your wealth on to the next generation they're sort of thinking well none of these high net worth individuals are necessarily online so you've got to sort of reverse engineer and try and think who are the people who make these decisions and actually it's this group of it's wealth managers the accountants the lawyers who specialize in this they went out used you know used our platform to sort of discover all the right people who are talking about those themes and who, who had those sort of job titles and they basically found this guy who runs the number one wealth management podcast in the uk they got their, their head of division onto that podcast to be interviewed so he could talk about, you know, what that brand had to say. Um, and, and, you know, that, that report ended up performing, I think, three, four times better than before. And you're not talking about very high numbers of downloads here. You're talking 1,500 downloads is is a lot of downloads. But, you know, they'd figured out exactly who the right person who was right in the middle of that network that everyone would know to kind of seed the content to co-create something really exciting i think that's the key yeah people often sort of feel like you know when you're trying to buy an influencer and get them to post about you don't get them to post about you co-create something you're both really proud of absolutely that everyone wants to share you know create a cool video something interactive like mm. like a, a, an interesting new bit of research on your industry because i think otherwise you just you end up sort of begging someone like oh remember to use the the company hashtag and all of these things because you're sort of you're thinking more about the process of it than actually the excitement and, and creating something really cool.
0: Some people just don't trust influencers. What would you say to people that, that are just not sure about this?
1: I think, you know, as, as, as with any tactic, there's, with any sort of marketing tactic, there's, there's challenges. I guess the way I think about it is, is influencer is probably a very broad term that's covering two, maybe three different types of activity. The kind of thing I'm encouraging people to do is essentially using the modern technology available to grow your network, the network of content creators and experts that you know. So I think because it happens online, people sort of tend to think of it, um, almost as existing in a sort of different sphere. It's like a a different, a different world. Yeah. It's a a different reality. It's kind of, (laughs) it's kind of funny, funny, even though we all know that this stuff is so integrated. So really, you know, just. If you met someone at a, at a networking event who was a, a copywriter, a freelance copywriter who, who had a great blog, you might ask them to come and guest blog for you. And I think that's, that's the key is that really, you know, what we do should be a platform to building relationships with, with all the key people in your mm-hmm. community, understanding what those people are interested in, what they care about, and then syncing up with them when there's a really, there's a genuine opportunity for collaboration. That's why I'll always kind of steer people away from these, these one off, pay kind of payment based and I almost don't like to think about b2c versus b2b I tend to think about industry approach versus a product focused approach because I think the product focused approach is kind of everything that's wrong with mark you know lots of types of marketing it's talking about yourself no one likes that guy at the party you know that the person who's only like here are our products here are our services me 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 it's you know this this kind of one off you're only talking to people when uh, you're only talking to your target audience when you need something from them. Yeah. The industry approach is you're actually trying to help them earlier in the buying funnel when they're trying to scope the challenge they have, understand, um, understand the the landscape better, and then you know by syncing up with those key opinion leaders with the right people, you're really helping them make decisions, educate themselves, uh, and you know basically help them find really great educational content. And I think that's where influencers are really at their best and you know that that's why I'd, I'd never encourage someone to just jump in and start. You know, don't don't start sort of waving wads of, of five grand around at people. But I don't think the B to C thing is. You know, I've I've had people sort of call me on this before when I've I've said B to B versus B to C, and I think they're right. It's not it's not a fair distinction to draw because there's lots of really great examples in the B to C sphere where people are taking that industry approach. They're really thinking about what they want their influencer program or their overall social to achieve for them. Mm. So two examples actually from uh, the beauty industry, which is very traditionally associated with that one-off product-based approach. But the first one is Sephora. So earlier this year, they announced that they were going to, they're going to sort of stop doing these, these one-off approaches. And they were going to work with uh, a dedicated group of, I think, 10 influencers. And they held auditions. So they asked everyone to submit a testimonial from one of their followers Hmm. saying how that person, how that influencer had helped them or how they'd influenced them, changed their mind. Then they pick their 10 and now they work with them on an ongoing basis. They have them come to the factory and and see how the products are made, come to product meetings and and explore the whole thing. And you're really partnering on on the whole thing. You're working with someone to help educate customers who want... This kind of content—it's well, almost
0: like an immersion, then, isn't it? They're really involved, and and one of the things I really like is this is this move towards almost like a a brand ambassador approach, which isn't mm. it isn't new. It's been around for a while, but I guess what you're saying is 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 really get involved and have have the brand and the influencer co creating content together. I think is really really important. So one last question, uh, if I may, Jack, is really just talking about the platforms. Um, I read recently. There's nearly 750 of them around the world. About half of those in the last year. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, how on you know are there going to be more? And what and how does a how does a brand decide which platform to choose from with so much choice? I mean, I think obvi- obviously, you know, I'm sort
1: of I'm always going to come at this from from the perspective of what I sort of you know what I think is the right approach. But I guess I would say. Is this someone who can help you really build a sustainable influencer, influencer approach? Something genuinely programmatic that you can do on an ongoing basis and is going to sort of help you, help you skill up. Because I think anyone can sort of, anyone can point you at an influencer and say, this guy will do it for, for 10 grand. It's, are you actually going to really scale your influence and build enough relationships with, with the key people? And I think, I guess the other thing is, um, a note of a note of caution we were talking about this earlier um you know some some of these social platforms are are on the lookout now for people who are who are kind of getting their data in in suspect ways and i guess what i would say is you know we've been around 10 years now we've been doing this a long time there's a lot of platforms with you know a little bit of venture capital to play with they're going to see you know can we scrape some data can we kind of get a get a semblance of a business model going and and win some customers and i guess i would just really question where people are getting getting the data that they're using because Facebook in particular is really on the lookout now. And platforms that are, that are Facebook or Instagram-based, I think, are going to have a bit of a reckoning in the next six months to a year as Facebook really tightens that up.
0: Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. We're delighted to announce our BCMA event focused on cybersecurity and how to protect yourself and your business from data breaches IP theft and hacking. I was recently heard of a mummy blogger who'd been targeted by fraudsters demanding Bitcoin, otherwise her Instagram account would have been removed. There have been more and more instances where influencers are being targeted in this area, so this event, complete with ethical hacker on the panel, will certainly give some comfort on what you need to do to protect yourself or your business. So it's on the 8th of November at the ADS Centre in London, and full details can be found on the BCMA website. So that's it for this edition of Influence. I hope you've enjoyed it, and as ever, we would welcome your feedback. Don't forget to keep an eye on the BCMA website for all the latest Influence and Marketing news. And until next time, from me, Gordon Glenister, thanks for listening, and goodbye. Music.